0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from 10 to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to VinitaliPlus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. And remember to save the date, the next edition of Vinitali will be held from the 2nd to the 5th of April, 2023. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin and this is Voices. Every Wednesday I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I am so happy to welcome Alicia Towns Franklin to Voices. We met in Verona in October 2021 when Alicia came for a speaking spot at Wine to Wine Business Forum, and I'm really pleased to have the chance to talk to her today. Alicia's been in the wine industry for over 25 years, and she started, as many of us do, as a waitress at the age of 19 and worked her way up to wine director at Top Restaurants. And she's now the vice president of wine portfolio at Archer Roos, a company bringing wines from all over the world to the arena of cans and sustainability and inclusivity. Alicia's also the head of mentorship for Wine Unify, and I really can't wait to talk about that. So welcome to the show today, Alicia. It's great to have you. Uh, Thank you so
1: much, Cynthia. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I've got to ask you, we, we haven't really sort of talked about our past. We were talking so much about our future last time I saw you. What was your light bulb moment with wine? Now, you've been in the sector for years and years now. What made you completely focus on wine?
1: I, it was just the sure joy that you get from a bottle of wine. I remember, well, I should say that I, in order to pay for college, I worked in restaurants. And I remember. You didn't <laughs> Exactly. And I remember someone handing me uh, a glass of, of burgundy, red burgundy. And it was like really red burgundy. <laughs> and it was amazing. And it was the first time I actually really thought about wine in a different way as opposed to just a beverage. But this was like, how is this possible? How is what is in this, this glass possible? And for me, with wine, it's everything. It's everything that I love, history, science, romance, all of the good stuff wrapped up into a glass of wine. And it spoke to
0: me. That's that's such a great description. Everything wrapped up in one glass of wine. That I think that is that is the magic moment that all of us uh, when we get addicted and seduced by wine. It's, it's such a fun story to see how people go from that spot in their life, I was about the same age, on to the next things. And you, you created sort of an amazing career for yourself going, going on through wine directorships and, and running wine programs. And you managed to come up with a fascinating space that you developed and created yourself at Grill 23 Bar in Boston when you were the wine director there and you had an all-female team, and all of you were racially diverse, and you've described this term as a point of power in your career when you were trying to change perceptions and change the conversation. And you've said it was, it was tough to get past stereotypes, but you clearly did it. So I'd love to hear sort of that path and how you got this team together and how the three of you together sort of smashed through all these barriers. No, no
1: that's a great question. I mean, It was a very interesting position to be in. It was the 90s and the early 2000s and being in charge of such a huge wine program. It started off as, I like to say, a wine list, and I created a wine program. Um, We were selling well over $3 million worth of wine a year. Um, I was looking for someone with just personality and a love of wine, and there's so many things you can teach And there's certain things you can't teach. And so one of my first hires was an amazing woman named Nathalie Barchet, who's from Bordeaux, and is currently the head of um, the hospitality at Peter Michael in Napa. And Nathalie was a concierge. She had worked in the wine industry back in France, but she hadn't really while she had been in the States. And her personality could sell anything.
0: I love people like that. Right? Don't worry. My producer will cut that out. So with Natalie,
1: I mean, her personality was just amazing. And there were things that you could definitely teach her. But the part of Nat that made her her was just ingrained and was amazing for our program. My other, my second hire was an amazing woman named Jeannie at the time of the trauma now Riles. Changed her name for from 13 letters to 3. So smart.
0: Fits better on all the forms we have to fill in nowadays. Exactly. And she was incredibly young, so interested in wine, had been
1: working at a retail store, and and actually created a, a wine program at her university, which was amazing as well. But she was just fascinated by the science and all the things. And I love the combination of the three of us. I mean, Hini's originally... From Ohio, but her family um, comes from India. So here we were, like the most diverse group, all women running a fine dining steakhouse wine program and doing it incredibly well. And, you know, we had tons of regular customers. In fact, some of them are still friends of mine today. But there are people who didn't know me. And so I was frequently assigned every job but the one I actually had. They thought I was a hostess. They thought I was this person. It was never that I was the wine director running this program. So did it really matter at the time? Not really. Wine was still such a new thing, and having three people who were devoted to a program was somewhat unheard of. So as a point of power, absolutely. It was, um, I could buy whatever I wanted, which was great. (laughs) I traveled a ton. But what I really wanted people to see was the the love of wine that we had that we wanted to share, but also that we were just three women doing our jobs, And it was not because we were female wine experts or that I was a black wine expert, but we were wine experts doing what we do did best at the time.
0: Yeah, and what you love and and are and you know, totally seriously qualified to do. So that's uh, that's great that's a great backstory. Um but, you know, eventually I I know you sort of found the antisocial hours of, of working in a restaurant, you know, didn't really go that well with raising your family. So uh you pivoted on to becoming a wine educator, which I also am. So I always I'm always interested in how that that change over from hospitality or, or retail into education happens um, so now you're a wine educator and a consultant and I've heard you say that you love most the connections and the, the community that people form together when they're sharing a bottle of wine and and wine is naturally an inclusive thing which I really agree with because it's all about your own individual palate. You taste what you taste and I taste what I taste. So what's your goal in teaching and presenting? What are the takeaways you want to give people when you're sort of explaining a bottle of wine and and teaching teaching how to enjoy that? The
1: first thing I want people to do is to trust themselves. Um, and as you, you said, palates are so incredibly personal. My body temperature, my saliva, all not that I Sexy, the sexy stuff of wine tasting, but all those things that work into it are very different depending on who you are. My memories of what my grandmother's kitchen smells like is different from yours. And the flavors at our dinner table might have been different than yours. So um, I want people to trust themselves and to explore and to make mistakes and to use words that really make sense for them. Um we are working on a project at Wine Unify called my, my Brioche is Your Biscuit or My Biscuit is Your Brioche because it's all the same ingredients, but it comes out into a different product. But that is the memory for me. It's not a brioche in my grandmother's kitchen. It's a biscuit on a Sunday morning that you smell. That, you know, so using what you know and trusting yourself is so incredibly important. And when I'm doing a, a presentation or trying to teach something, I really want people to have information that they can connect with and actually take away something useful, how to discover the type of wines that you like, looking at the alcohol content and maybe give you a good idea of what the body of the wine is going to be like, so that you can walk in the store and say, I usually like things that are you know, a little medium body, so I'm going to be in this alcohol range and just useful information i think i am not a person who normally says oh this tastes like raspberries or this tastes like root beer or whatever the flavor is there are some people who don't have those flavors in their in their their muscle memory of of taste so i i think the biggest thing is just to trust yourself and to bring your own experiences to anything that you're
0: doing. I think that's so important. I I work a lot with young students who are very very new to wine and you know while they may have, you know, a similar lexicon they're all coming from similar sorts of universities and more or less privileged backgrounds. They they often can't get the language, you know, that sort of, you know, rarefied language that we use in in upper echelon wine classes that really kind of locks the door against people who who don't have that language. So, I like this idea of things that have the same ingredients, but you have a different word for it than I do. So we're tasting and smelling the same thing, but we're going to call it something different. And I think that's that's something to really be exalted. Sharing each other's, you know, as you said, sort of muscle memory or, you know, aroma memory bank and your memories while you're drinking the wine just adds to the experience. So I, I really appreciate that. And giving people the power to walk into a wine store and not be nervous, to know what they want, and And to give their salesperson something to go on, I think that's a great tool to give people absolutely well you you have done all sorts of things uh, you know it, throughout the the hospitality industry, consulting teaching, but now you're sort of in a different arena with archer ruse you know you you were event planning and and consulting. In Boston, and what made you change tack and head to Roos? What about that company's ethos attracted you, and what are you hoping to accomplish there?
1: well, I, I love the idea that Roos wanted to democratize wine because that was something I've wanted to do and have been doing since I began my career and i wanted I joined Archer I met the owner of Archer short during the pandemic, actually, and we were just talking. And the more I talked to Marianne, the more I thought, I love what they're doing. And it fits right into what I'm trying to do with Wine Unify and what I've been trying to do the rest of my life is to bring more people into the wine world, to make it more approachable. Like the fact that, and I, trust me, I have a nice cellar, but, you know, not every day requires me to open a full bottle of wine. And the idea that you have portion control. Or you can have a different variety. If you want bubbles and you want bread, well, then you don't have to fight about it. Um, but what I particularly liked was that this was a way of of inviting more people in who thought that wine wasn't for them, um, that wine didn't go with their food per, per se, or that um, you needed a special tool in order to get the bottle open, or you needed to have certain words in order to describe the wine. I thought that this was a great way not only to to bring in different groups of people who never thought they could be here, but also younger people who are looking for variety, who are looking for things that are not so precious. And um, a full bottle at times can be a commitment. Um, a full bottle on a Saturday night, absolutely. A Tuesday night, a can works for me.
0: Yeah, it's a a fascinating concept. I mean, we we had the great fun of having you and Marion here in Verona in October when I first met you um, for our Wine to Wine conference. And the discussion was so lively about the viability of cans and how They really do attract a new audience and and bring new people to the wine party in a very different way, with very different expectations, I think. You know, I'm like you. I I have a relatively decent cellar myself, but, you know, it's not every night that you want to open up something that's expensive and leave it open. My husband doesn't drink, which is a big tragedy. So I have to be super committed if I'm opening a bottle on a Tuesday. (laughs) Um, so, so how's it going with the with the cans? Uh, we we cannot get them here in Verona, so I'm very curious about the market and the marketing and where you're selling.
1: Well, we are selling all over the U. S for the most part and it, well definitely especially because we are DTC as well so not only do we have national dist- distribution um, we're also online but it's going quite well we're actually producing two new wines for our core portfolio this year a pinot grigio from mario zunista who owns e in friuli
0: oh wow fantastic
1: and a right it's so delicious <laughs> it's so delicious as well as uh, what we're calling our bubbly rosé which is our, our sparkling wine producer and we are creating we've created the rosé with him as well and the wines are tasty um, and and you know, even working with Mario he wants to help democratize wine he's always thought this, that people should be able to have a delicious glass of wine at an affordable price and that is what we're trying to do. It's not false wine. We partner with our winemakers, and we have certain standard operating procedures that they follow because you know it's in a can so lower sulfur. Um, and it's it's worked quite well. and it's been a joy working with so many different winemakers from around the world, and we're global, so we haven't made anything domestic yet, but hopefully that will be in the future. But I think that's it's it's something that people are definitely looking at a bit more. The canned wine industry is exploding, and we're not asking people to replace their bottles, not at all. We're saying this is an addition to your portfolio if you're a producer, or an addition to your grocery cart if if you're a consumer. And um, it it seems to be working. Uh, more people are producing. Great wine in a can. I mean, historically there's been some really bad ones, but that's definitely changing.
0: That's incredible. I'm I'm really excited about this one because I happen to love Ekleby's wines. You know, it's an interesting point. What's the price point on a on a can of Pinot Grigio um, from your partner Ekleby as opposed to what we'd pay for a bottle of of their wine? Oh, that's a great question. So um, we
1: sell um, in four packs, so it's a liter and it's about
0: $15. Wow. That okay, so that's a bargain. Yeah.
1: That's a bargain. So it's a third of a bottle for $4. Wow.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's going to be attractive also to younger um younger drinkers and people new to wine who don't want to, you know, drop $75 every time they want to open something and still get quality wine in their glass. No, absolutely. So that's Yeah, that's so interesting. I like the fact that that what Archeru's is doing is is being really proactive about inclusivity. What other things do you think the industry could be doing to banish that sort of exclusive, intimidating atmosphere that the wine industry has had and bring people in rather than keeping them out?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, it seems to people that the industry has been a bit elitist and exclusive. And I think the thing that we can do is to meet people where they are at. Um, you look at the millennials and the Gen Zers, and, and I'm a Gen Xer and people forget about us all the time, but the millennials and Gen Zers are about 50 percent, BIPOCs are about 50 percent of the, those generations. Very different because BIPOCs in the boomers is only 28 percent. Um, and Absolutely. Yep. These are our wine drinkers going forward, and we need to be able to authentically market to them and um, to make them feel included authentically because they can smell that like no one's business and also these are kids the Gen Zers, who've always lived their lives online and they have not met, known a space where there's not been an internet and that's how they find out information and it's not um, a wine critic telling them they should drink certain things it's wine influencers. It's their friends. It's a great website of a wine producer. It's a great video on TikTok. There's so many different ways of connecting with them. And the way that we've been doing it doesn't really resonate this much. And the fact that they are drinking less than their grandparents and they're doing it for so many reasons. And one specifically is because they live their lives online. They need to be in control. They know these images and, and videos are forever. So they're careful, and and with the millennials as well, it's health and wellness. It's like, what am I putting in my body? Um, not so much as don't drink that; it's bad for you. It's like, only drink this because it's it's good for you. It's it's not. It's it, it's quite interesting how they think, and just I've been reading a lot about them lately, and and I kind of want to be them. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of want to be my kids when I grow up.
0: Well, I, I have six of them. I, yeah, I have six of them. My, my kids are all in that realm. so my kids range between 21 and 30. So they cross over a couple of those annuals. Um, but it is interesting how, you know how much they do take from their uh, social media input and how how critical they can be of various things. Um, there's a particularly large, Uh, distribution company in the world that I won't name and my children refuse to buy from them for Christmas presents because they don't like what they're doing so in terms of your outreach over social media and things it it sounds like you're connecting in a way that's positive I mean you've also got sustainability going for you which is another big issue with with my kids so that that whole age group um and and how are cans playing into that
1: so sustainability is huge for us um we are also gluten free and, you know, wine is naturally gluten free but it depends on what you're finding things with and vegan friendly and and we list our ingredients on the can, which is something that is important to them. On a wine bottle you don't know what's in there. And um, on our website you can find further what's what's in our wines and you know, there's a, a term floating around called clean wine which we don't use, but it's um, And knowing that there are certain additives that are permissible, and we don't do that. So I think that's important, but also the story. And millennials are looking for experiences, and the Gen Zers are looking for a cool product. And stories are... That's such a good point. Stories are important, and we do that quite well. And as I'm looking to partner with winemakers, I... I'm thinking about their story as well. For example, there's a South African, a Shannon Blanc producer, who is the parent company decided that they could not financially contribute in a way. So they created a company that was going to be owned by the workers only. and And so they were all given shares in their business. And they put in a little bit of money every month. That goes towards their business. Now they not only own their company, they also own 50% of the parent company, which I think is a powerful story. You know, it's not. That is huge. Right. So seeking out people like that and the wine producers like that, I think is incredibly important. Um, diversifying our portfolio, it's, it's important to me that. There's a female winemaker, multiple female winemakers. There's winemakers of color. Um, we are sourcing from around the, the globe, so that definitely is helpful for us. Um, and, yeah, so it, a can can do so much. And we've also partnered with Elizabeth Banks, who's a producer, director, and, and actor here in the States. And she's great. She's great at delivering a why and just being sort of fun. We call it, inter- in how do we call it, entertainment, you know. So she has a great way of um, delivering information that people find engaging, which I think is awesome as well. So whatever we can do to paint the picture that this is a wine that you want to drink and why, I don't think that the younger generations are necessarily loyal to brands in the way we have been. Um, they're loyal to their, their values. And
0: as long as you continue to to be... As you said, meet them where they are. Yeah. then I think they're loyal to you, definitely. I, I like that your, your company is developing its own story so well, too. Not just the stories of your wines, but the story of your own company is, is really developing too. And you hear that coming out in your voice. So I, I'm really excited about that. Um, but before I, I let you go today, uh, I, I really do want to take a minute to talk to you about your work at Wine Unify. Um, you know, it's not as if you don't have 10 other things to do, but you joined the board of directors and you're leading the mentorship program. So what inspired you to take on this role? What is Wine Unifying doing? Tell us about them and, and sort of the drive behind it for you.
1: Absolutely. Um, One Unify was born in 2020. It was at the height of the pandemic. It was the height of Black Lives Matter movement. Um, It was George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And it was at a point where I'm a mother of children. My kids are a little bit younger than yours. And I was having a difficult time um, in, with the state of the world. And I received a call from my friend, Dylan Proctor, who's amazing, saying, we are thinking of doing this. Do you want to join us? And um, it was a, it was three o'clock in the morning. I answered his text. He was in California, of course, because no one was sleeping then. And I said, absolutely. So we launched um, in July of, of, of 2020, which was pretty ambitious. But everyone was at home. So we have the time. And what we decided to do was our pillars are welcome. Elevate, Amplify. So we want to welcome, elevate, and amplify voices of color in the industry. Um, and we know that education is so incredibly important, and that for us, it's like a uniform. So we supply their WSET education um, levels, one, through a diploma, um, their awards. And so we give you everything you need. It's not that we just like send you off and go and do it. It's no, we're here to scaffold your 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 um your journey. And so we pay for your award. We also give you the wine that you need to study with because wine is incredibly expensive. Um also resources. Justin Robinson, for example, has given everyone a subscription, Corriban gives everyone a Corriban. So we're giving you all the tools you need to be successful. And then mentorship is a huge part of that as well. I mean, our mentors are people like Gary Obligacion from the Linear Group, um, Andre Mack
0: from Mouton, I'm sorry. Maison, Maison Noir, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Maison Noir, we don't want anyone to be sued. Or Tonya Pitts in San Francisco, Um, we have Vintners and... And um, importers. And so we have, and media people, we have a, a, a breadth of mentors that are amazing. And so for our mentees to be able to speak with these industry badasses, excuse my language, it's awesome. And so we do group mentoring where we talk about the business, we talk about certain specific things, but then we do one on one mentoring as well which is so incredibly important that people feel as if they are being supported. Um, and so life, after your, your, your WSET level is not over, um, we have ambassadors and alumni, um, alumni ambassadors that will, they create parties, they have meetups, and so people came for the education, stayed for the culture and the community. And so we've given up about 70 awards now and they've ranged from people who are 21 years old. And we have a woman named um, Janice, who is 76, who was a social justice attorney back in the day and has opened up a B&B and wanted to be able to offer wine tasting. So you don't have to be in the wine industry per se. Um, initially, at some point, as you go up in the levels you do, but we just want people to feel as if they belong in this world. And I'm just... Amazed at the jobs that have come out of our time, our very short time of being around. Um, I'm impressed with these kids. Every time I see them on the screen, I see the future of the industry. And it's been one of the most satisfying and amazing things I've ever done in my career.
0: It, it sounds absolutely joyful, too. Um, you know, so much is wrong in the wine industry. It's really great to hear when something is going right and, and, you know, Wine Unify is doing something proactive that's been successful in only 18 months, you know, giving giving people a, a path to success in the wine industry and actually inviting them in. Uh, I think that's just amazing. I, I love the joy in your voice when you talk about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I once said to you that I feel like Oprah <laughs> yeah. when I call up award recipients and say, and because there's always, there's tears, there's screaming, there's laughter, and it, I just remember particularly it was a really bad day here in Boston, <laughs> and I and we had riots and it, it was windows were boarded up and it was the day that I had to call recipients and I didn't want to do it initially and after my first one I'm like I want to call them all.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna invite them over too. <laughs>
1: and I would have loved to have invited them over, but I think that
0: what we are doing is.
1: It's important um, for so long so many people did not know this is this was did you call it the wine party
0: yes it is the wine party
1: it is the wine party they didn't know they were invited to the party and now they know that they are the party I was just out in Napa um, for a um, wine unified board meeting and to actually and it's funny because many of us have not met before and I live on the East Coast everyone else is in California there are people that I've talked to pretty much every day that I've never met in real life, and so that was a powerful moment um, two weeks ago, and also a meet and greet with our, um, our our alumni and our current recipients, and tons of tears always, but they're tears of joy and lots of hugging and and COVID tests, but other than that, it was just it's always it's always a good time when we're with Wine Unified people we call them the family.
0: And it is yeah, well it is and it's it's nice to know that there are some post covid gems. You know, I it's the same, but Italy is a very small country, it's smaller than the state of California, and I've been working with a few people during covid online and I still haven't been able to meet up with them. We don't even live that far apart and when we finally do, it is that magical moment of let the party begin. Um, I think having been restrained for so long, the, one of the good sides of COVID is that we really appreciate those moments now, and they're really special. I mean, we're, we're all sort of coming out of the pandemic now, thank goodness, after two years, that threw more obstacles in the way. And I know that you're, you know, obviously the most inherently positive person. So besides being able to give away awards and cheer yourself up on a bad day, how did the pandemic affect the other work that you do? Um, you know, are there new goals for 2022? Where are you heading?
1: Where am I headed? Um, interesting question. I w- I would say what the pandemic did for me. Um, I I definitely didn't want anyone to lose, you know, their livelihood, their family members. But what it did for me was that it became actually the birth of no and in uh, refocusing my attention. I felt a little bit of relief to have the world shut down. I shouldn't say that out loud, but it was. I was spread so thin, and I felt like I was going to break. And so what the pandemic did for me was allow me to take a step back to really refocus my attention, what was important, and there are things that would have been great to be able to do, and I always did them, but I had to decide that I needed... If the pandemic has taught me anything, the amount of time I want to spend with my family and the people I love was so incredibly important to me that I had to back away from the things that I would like to do, but really were not the things that were going to drive my family um, closer together. Um, And so it was a wake-up call for me. Um, I walked a ton. I walked ten miles a day just to sort of clear my head i mean it it was great <laughs> and because the city was shut down i i you could move around easily and um it was it really was a a period that helped me refocus my world after being a mom full time and working part time to decide that yeah I was ready to go back to work full time but I needed to do something different and I needed to do something different because I wanted to 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 help change the world, the wine world in a way um, even in a very small way so that continues to be my goal is to help democratize wine, to help um, bring more people into the industry and um, to drink Delicious
0: wine. <laughs> those are those are some very fine goals, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you you're, you are well on the way to success, my friend. Uh, between Archeruse and Wine Unify, I think you're changing the industry in a lot bigger ways than you know. It's like dropping the pebble into the into the glass of wine, maybe, and seeing the ripples going out. Um, it's it's really nice to hear how sort of positive you've been able to keep. Both, both things, you know, your your work, work, and your and your work with Wine Unify as well. Um, but I, I know you've got to get going, and so do I. But before I let you off the show, we we always have some laughs about various wines that we like, and I know you're a champagne girl. Um, but I have to ask, what's your favorite Italian wine, and when would you open up a bottle with me in particular? Well, I
1: yeah, I have two bottles. I- with, open with you well three because we'd have to have champagne and I will be honest not only did I walk 10 miles every day I was drinking a glass of champagne every day because you can't be sad with bubbles in your hands um, so <laughs> that
0: is so true that so, is so but true for
1: Italian I love Italian wines actually Um, I'm a huge Nebbiolo fan Um, but I would start in Truly actually with Mario Zanuso. I love his whites I even love his sparkling wines I think his wines are absolutely delicious If I'm leaning red, it's Arpepe. I love an Alpine Nebbiolo. Those wines are absolutely delicious. And I also like to say it. (laughs) It's a great name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who doesn't like saying Arpepe? Exactly. (laughs) And drinking their wine. These are great choices. I approve. Um, Thank you so much for coming on today. It's just a pleasure to reconnect with you and to hear what you're doing now post- post-Wine to Wine and and back at work more or less full-time now as we're all coming out of this. And I hope I get to see you one of these days soon. So keep up the good work at, at Archerous and at Wine Unify and take good care. Thank you again for coming on. Thanks so much, Cynthia. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Save the date. The next edition of Vini Italy will be held the 2nd through the 5th of April, 2023. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. C'in C'in!